Well, we're looking at Revelation in chapter 5. I remember when I was a camper at camp, there was a chorus we used to sing. Um, and it was, Heaven is a wonderful place. Who knows that chorus? You know that chorus? Heaven is a wonderful place. Filled with glory and grace, I'm going to see my Saviour's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And uh, it is a wonderful place, and it's a real place, and it's a place that everyone can look forward to. And in some ways, I suppose all of us should be looking forward to it, from the youngest to the oldest. You know, at school, you can get bullied or excluded or, or you know, popular or whatever it is. As you get older, you realise that life's not as good as you thought it might be, and you can get illnesses, you can get diseases, we've got hospitals and doctors to, to help us with that. You don't need them in heaven, thankfully. In fact, we don't need a lot of the professions that we hold in high esteem on earth in heaven. We don't even need dentists in heaven. We don't need lawyers in heaven. And it is a wonderful place. And, and, and with John tonight, we'll take a trip into heaven and we'll see some of the wonderful things there. And I don't want to get tied up too much with the theology of it. I, I want to see this as a, a trip into the very presence of God and see what the future holds for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A place where there's no disease, no arguing, no sin, no troubles, no problems. And personally I'm looking forward to getting there. And I think the older you get, the the more you want to be there and appreciate all these things. And I've got family and friends there waiting for me. And I think it's good for us when, when things are hard in life, when, when you get depressed about things, when there's worries and cares, to go to a chapter like this can lift your spirits. And it has done for me, and I think that's a, a good thing to do. We're, we're going to the throne room tonight. This is one of the throne scenes, which is technically known as the throne scenes in Revelation. My brother did a PhD on the throne scenes in Revelation. I wouldn't agree with all the things my brother thought about the throne scenes in Revelation, but uh, it's a wonderful study and we'll just hopefully gain some uh, blessings from that tonight. So let's read the, the whole chapter together. It says that I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne, with the four living creatures, and the elders, a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. 
And he came and took the book or scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What a remarkable scene. And John is taken up there in the spirit into this scene. And this is what he records. This is part of the thing he remembers. And we see this interesting word that's in uh, the, the chapter in two, in two sections, in chapter 4, verse 11, and chapter 9, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 9, this one word, worthy, in fact, occurs a few times, and we'll look at that, that's part of the, the, the importance of this chapter, is this word, worthy. And in chapter 4, he is worthy of praise because of who he is. And it says there, he is the creator of all things. He's the one who created all things. So who he is, his power, it, that demands that we should worship him because he is so great. But in chapter 5, we come in and we worship him because of what he has done. And that is redemption. He is purchased for God with his blood people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. He is worthy of our praise. This usually brings up my notes. Now it hasn't got my notes. So I'm got, that's why I got the thing put up here, but it hasn't given me my notes I can see, so don't worry, I have to. That might be shorter than I would have been uh, because of that. You can change this Can you? I can have a try. If you want. Yeah, have a try. You want me to speak longer, obviously, boy. <laughs> Good man, that's what I like to see. That's it. Thank you, boy. Quite a useful man to have around singing. <laughs> this is the throne room. And that word occurs 51 times, and 43 of them are found in Revelation. The throne. And that word encapsulates the whole idea of authority and power and rule. You do not mess 
with the throne of God. This is the HQ, if you will, where the decisions are made. And it's not just the HQ of this universe, it's far bigger than that. It's the HQ of eternity, the dwelling place of God. And what is said from this throne becomes absolute authority. No one can argue against this. This is the throne of God. And when it speaks about the throne, we see here absolute power and absolute authority. And they're going to bring this scroll. And God has this scroll in his hand. And what is written in that scroll will happen. It is a mandate. Paul prayed in the prayer meeting, it's the title deeds of the earth. I think it's maybe more than that, in fact. I think it's a, an outline, a plan of the whole tribulation period of seven years, and it lays it all out in front of people, and the jobs that are given to angels that will take these commands from this book to win the earth back. The devil has hijacked, if you will, this earth and the people of this earth. And this scroll, this book, is a blueprint and the plan to take that world back by force. God, through Jesus Christ, will take this earth back. And all the wrongs and all the sins and all the degradation and everything that's wrong about this world will be sorted out. There will be justice applied in a way that's never been seen before on the earth. And so when we come to the throne of God, we have the HQ, if you will, of all the decisions that are made for angels, for mankind, and every atom in the universe. Now there are other thrones mentioned in the Bible. The twelve apostles are promised thrones. Of course, King David throne will be restored one day uh, in fact you'll, you'll see this about uh, in, in various passages in the word of God but all of a sudden he says your throne O God and there we see the, 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 the deity of Christ your throne O God is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom so we see his authority but this throne uh, the, this throne of David they will be restored on earth. So we see something of the plan of God for this earth as well. And it was highlighted right at his birth. And even when Mary was with child, when she was pregnant, this promise was given. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But the throne we're seeing in Revelation 5 is the throne in heaven. It's the HQ, it's where all the mandates go out, it's where all the authority and commands go out. But there's another throne on earth, and of course the two are related. These two thrones are related. And the throne of heaven will dictate and put up the throne on earth. And I think that's so important to see. This is clearly what we read here in Luke is clearly an earthly throne and the earth will be taken back from Satan and Christ will rule and what we see here in Revelation 5 is the mandate for that. This scroll 
is the blueprint for what's going to happen, how that's going to happen. How this throne on earth will be set up is determined by this scroll here, given eventually to the Lamb. And he will take all the kingdoms on the earth back under his control. You remember during the the temptation of Christ, the third temptation was to have all the kingdoms of the world and and, uh, that is something that is rightfully his. But it wasn't the time. And Jesus Christ knew it would be a sin to accept this. And so he said, no, God has the mandate, God has the plan and now is the right time when we come to Revelation 5 now is the time and of course Satan tried to tempt him with that to bypass the cross and yet we see this remarkable verse in Hebrews 4 and 16 therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need This great throne in heaven, which dictates dictates the movement of every atom in the universe and dictates every movement of whatever heaven is made up of and controls all the angels who are mighty and strong. An angel that when you read about them further on as you get into Revelation will have incredible power. And this throne, the commands go out from this throne. And yet, we have confidence to draw near to this throne of grace. It's a throne of grace, isn't that wonderful? We can come and pray to this very throne. And and as we see it described here, in all its glory, in all its power, in all its majesty, and yet as we prayed in the back hall tonight, that throne heard our prayers. It's absolutely incredible. And that should be a great encouragement to us. And God has made it known. He says, you can come into my presence. We'd have no right there apart from the blood of Christ. And what do we read about here? And what's going on in heaven? People are remembering the blood of Christ. And that is why we have access to the throne. And it's very interesting because later on in this chapter, we'll see that the, the, the 24 elders have bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and we'll maybe consider some of those things because our prayer life is so important now it may be that this scroll is what um, Daniel was speaking about in Daniel 12 and 4 but as for you Daniel conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase Verse 9 says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. It may well be that we'll have the same book or scroll in mind here. There were certainly things that Daniel had been given an insight to and he's told to seal them up. It's not for just now. It's for later on. And it may be now is the time in Revelation 5 that this book that Daniel got an insight to was... Uh, is now being opened in Daniel in Revelation chapter 5 but there's a problem here with this scroll and, and John's looking about and I think John has, has an idea he must have some understanding of what's in this scroll he must know it's important at the very least he must know it has something to do with earth 
and, and how God will sort out all the mess and, and, and the last couple of years and it seems in the next couple of years going forward if the Lord hasn't come back we'll get even worse than what we've endured so far and the chaos and upheaval in, the, in a global scale in our world so we should be even more desperate to see this scroll opened but John was weeping because no one could open it there was no one worthy to open it you know you can understand a little bit of my wife can understand the sort of anticipation of this because um, I remember when the, uh, I think it was Mark's higher results came in in that envelope that everyone loves to look well I don't know if you get it in an envelope now do you I think you get it through the internet but it doesn't matter in my day and in Mark's day even it was an envelope and I think uh, Karen saw this coming in she was desperate to open and break the seal but she wasn't allowed to so it wasn't hers uh, and only Mark had the right to open that envelope and there was anticipation eager anticipation to know where his future would lie because it lay inside this envelope but she wasn't allowed to open it it was only Mark. And, and, and now we see here, this is a scroll that's been sealed up, possibly from Daniel's day. And John is so eager to see it. He wants to see things sorted out in this world. Don't, don't we want to see that? All the evil. You think what's happening in Ukraine, and I think Ukraine was a particularly evil nation at the best of times. And then you've got an even more evil man coming into that nation as well. And, and there's killing, there's death, there's bombs, there's bullets. You know, you would, we've seen death, we've seen misery throughout the world. If there's not famine, there's tsunamis. And, 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 and I think we understand something of, of John's anticipation here, his eagerness to see what's inside this scroll. Because I think he knows and understands it has relevance to the earth. And if he knew his Old Testament, and I'm sure he did, and, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's got some insight as to what's going on in this scroll. And he knows it will affect the world. But he's left behind temporarily. And it's going to detail the future of the world and its population. And he wants to see what it is. Well, the scroll... Is a scroll with seven seals. We see that in Revelation 5 and 6. The seventh seal becomes the seven trumpets. And the last three trumpets are called woes. And we find that in chapter 9. I believe, I'm not going to be dogmatic, I believe the fifth trumpet is the midpoint of the tribulation. You can come to me once you get there and tell me if you think I'm right or not. But the last three woes are the last uh, three trumpets and the last woe is seven bowls so it's like one of those telescopes that expands out and, and the, 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 each, the last one of the, the seals become trumpets the last trumpet becomes the bowls that's what they are and so we have this plan and once you get to the bowls at the end of Revelation they are so desperately uh, catastrophic that it must be within days of the second coming of Jesus Christ I mean things that are happening that mankind could not survive uh, and so the, the, the bulls are right at the end but the whole seven years is taken up by seals, trumpets 
and then these balls at the end. And that is how God has described it as how he will take this world back. He could have done it in seven seconds. But he decided in his wisdom to use seven years. Of course, seven is an important thing in the book of Revelation. You'll see that time and time again. The seven seals is God's operating number, his perfect number. And they will dictate, these seals will dictate and initiate actions that effectively take the world back by force. And we see the, the, the soldiers and the, the power that he has, even in verse 2, a strong angel or a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. There is no trepidation here. These angelic beings will carry out these orders willingly and with enthusiasm because they want to see the earth back to what it should be. And I think the angels are even upset because of what has happened in this world. And they to see the, the lovely Son of God leaving heaven and dying on a cross because of sin. And so they're eager to see this come back under his control. So breaking the seals, that first seal starts the tribulation period in, in, in all its power and judgment on the earth and it is according to the divine timing of God okay, it was going to happen in Daniel's day it wasn't going to happen when Jesus was on earth when Satan tried to tempt him and it is now the timing of God verse 3 uh, it says there no one was able to open the book the word able there is dunamis we get dynamite from it they don't have the power or the right okay uh, when you see the word worthy in verse 4 however no one was found worthy that's a different word and the word there means deserving in the sense that he deserves there's only one person deserves to open this scroll and it's the Lord Jesus Christ and why does he deserve to do this why does he have the the, the the right to take back this world, to put judgment on the world and, and sort out all the wrongs that are taking place. Because as it says there, he has overcome. He has overcome, it says there in verse 5. He has overcome the world, he has overcome Satan, he has overcome death. And he deserves to take it back because he gave his life for us. For this world, for God so loved the world. And he deserves to open the scroll. No one else has that right. And Jesus Christ has that right. He is worthy in that sense. But he's also able, dunamis. He's got the power to do it. And he is deserving of that job. And now the time has come. Remember the timing is so important in God's calendar. Jesus Christ had to die exactly on Passover day. Exactly on the year that he did. And in John 7.30 it says, They were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Timing is very important. Revelation 9 and 15, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, and day, and month, and year, were released, so that they would kill a third of mankind. There you go. Four angels killing a third of mankind. This is the sort of power that this throne has. And yet they're waiting there for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. The timing of God is absolutely precise. There's no 
time lapses, he's never too early, he's never too late, he never misses anything, it's exactly at the right time. Now here's an interesting thing, John knew what the scroll meant to a certain extent, must have done, he knew the wrongs of the earth, he wanted to see them corrected, John is overwhelmed if no one could open it, and he's weeping, and it struck me, you know, there are no tears in heaven, why is John weeping? Well, of course, you understand this because John has not yet been changed. He hasn't got the full insight that we will have. We will be changed one day and we will understand it. And we want to do things quickly and we get upset, don't we? Um, because we don't understand the full plan of God. And even the prayers that we'll, we'll read about in the incense bowls, will see that that's important enough. And timing is so important. That's why I'm emphasizing this timing. John didn't have all that wisdom yet. He didn't have the full understanding. Because he has been taken from the earth. And it's only, he's only a quick visit. It's a fleeting visit. He's going back to earth, John. Okay? So that's why he weeps. Nobody else is weeping. Because they understand what's going on. And I think that's very important. But he's upset because he's seen the death of the Lord Jesus Christ he's seen the son of God spat upon ripped apart with the, the, the scourging he's seen the, the martyrdom of the apostles and he himself has been imprisoned in Patmos and he can't fully grasp why all these bad things have to happen and we won't fully understand why bad things happen we don't understand that quite yet and he's not changed, he hasn't got the wisdom yet and that's why he weeps he's not weeping now, he understands fully now because he's there and he's got that same wisdom now it says in verse 5 that this is the, the, the line from the tribe of Judah and the root of David isn't it interesting that it says human genealogy that is given here this is a humanity of Christ he is one of us. He is a man. He's of the royal line. And he is worthy because he overcame, as I mentioned. John 16.33 says this, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. He is conqueror of the world. He's defeated Satan and all the evils that they did that on the cross. The word here is Nike. You know the training shoes that you pay a lot of money for? Um, more than half the uses of this word in the New Testament are found in Revelation. This book of Revelation is about conquerors. And we win. Christians win. Because our God, our Saviour, has overcome the world. And that is why he is allowed, he deserves, and he has the power to open this scroll and thus set off the whole start of the tribulation. But take that to heart. We win. That was a great encouragement to me. He's the lamb and the lion. A seeming paradox. Uh, he overcame the world as the lamb at his first coming on the cross of Calvary, he will overcome the world a second time as a lion. And that's why he's the lion and the lamb. 
And what is remarkable here is in heaven they still recognize these two aspects of Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb and it will never be forgotten that he was the Lamb who died for us. And when we get to heaven we will never forget that he's the Lamb who died for us. And one day we'll come back with him as the Lion and we'll never forget that either. The day we come back at the second coming to take this world with him by force. Seven, God's perfect number. Uh, You'll see in verse 6, seven things are mentioned there. Uh, The seven horns, horns always speak of power. And that reminds us of his omnipotence. Complete power, complete, the seven horns, seven power, uh, manifold uh, in that sense. He's omnipotent. Seven eyes, that's the complete knowledge. The eyes always uh, speak of knowledge in the book of Revelation. He has seven eyes, that's a complete vision that he has, he sees everything that means he's omniscient he has seven spirits and the spirits go out all through the world and that's his omnipresence and so we see the character of God in these great theological terms omnipotence, omniscience and omnipresence all characterised in this uh, verse 6 that speaks about the, the spirits of God there Prayer, verse 8, is so important. And you have these four living creatures and the 24 elders. Now we don't need to get caught up with who they are exactly. 24 elders may speak of the church. The four living creatures may be redeemed mankind or it may be heavenly beings. It doesn't really matter. What matters to me is this that they are holding these bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they've probably been holding those bowls for quite a while and sometimes we pray and we think why are their prayers not being answered but they're still in the bowls, they're still secure so these heavenly residents have not forgotten And they've not lost those prayers. They're held in these bowls. And it's like incense is ascending before the throne. And God enjoys the sweetness of the prayers of the saints. And that's why the prayer meeting is so important. If you're not at the prayer meeting, you're not in the right place, spiritually or bodily. Because it would be a bit sad if you got to heaven and, and you saw the 24 elders and they've got these bowls full of prayers and not one of them is yours. And the prayer meeting is so important and it may take a while before they're answered. But it's a sweet smelling savour to God. Our prayer life is important. What else could we do in a prayer meeting night that would come close to that sort of value eternally in our lives? Then there's worship, verses 9 to 10, and they sang a new song to the Lamb because he's about to take this scroll and break its seals. And he's worthy, and that word obviously goes through uh, this whole section where he's deserving you deserve to take this book for you were slain and you purchased for God 
all these people from up. And we're part of that. We are saved tonight. You're part of the redeemed that was being purchased for God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So we're going to worship the Lamb for his substitutionary death because he died for us. He purchased. He bought us. It was a ransom that he paid. For redemption, that price that was paid for all the nations. And you see there the transformation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. It would be great just to have been saved from hell. To avoid the punishment and, 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 and payment for our sins. To avoid that would have been a wonderful thing. But he's also transformed us. And that's why we will worship him. He's made us kings and priests unto God. What an exalted title. On earth, the, 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 I mean, Paul could say he was like the scum of the earth to some people. But in God's eyes, and in eternity, he's a king and a priest. Please notice in verse 10 as well, you'd be hard pressed not to be premillennial. If you read these verses, it says, You have made them a kingdom of priests, and they will reign upon the earth. This is speaking of people who are in heaven and they're going to reign on the earth. Well, you think once you get to heaven, that's you in heaven, it's not it's you there permanently. Well, no, you're going to reign upon the earth one day. They will reign upon the earth one day. It's a future event on earth. So if you've got a wee notepad, you can put down premillennial verse. We'll move on. Verse 12. And notice that this is for the Lamb. Verse 12 is for the Lamb exclusively. Verse 13 is for to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see the work of Jesus Christ being recognized in verse 12. And we see his deity being recognized along with God the Father in verse 13. Verse 13 is to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In verse 12 it's worthy is the Lamb. And these are from men in heaven, redeemed people. And, and they give this worship and this praise. And there's no distractions now. And why do I put that down? Because sometimes we get distracted, don't we? Even on a Sunday morning when there are symbols there to help us worship properly, to, to remind us of what Christ has done, we get distracted, don't we? Our minds wander. When we see the Lamb in heaven, we won't be distracted. And faith will have given way to sight and there will be no need for symbols there. And that's why this worship is precious and pure because of where we are. This is one of my favourite hymns I sing it. In fact, it comes into my head most Sunday mornings. Folk would get fed up if I gave it out every Sunday morning. But praise the Saviour, ye who know him, who can tell how much we owe him? It's very hard for us to tell just now. When you're in heaven, you understand how much he has done for us, and your worship is then perfect. But we can try our best, and then we shall be where we would be, then we shall be what we should be, that which is not now nor could be then shall be our own. This great future ahead of us that we have no right to have and we don't have it just now, then it will be our own. And these men in heaven will have appreciated fully what Jesus Christ has done for them. I missed out one little thing at the top. 
it says that they, that they, they fell down and they said something. Now that little word, just that one word, said, there's, there's communication in heaven. People are speaking to one another. You know, heaven's not just completely taken up with playing a harp and, and singing praise. There's a whole lot of things going on. And there's this communication, this fellowship. And, and if we take it, the 24 elders are, 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 are redeemed mankind. Then they're speaking. And they're not only speaking to one another, they're speaking to God. Directly, who is on the throne. That little word was a, a great encouragement to me that we will have this discourse, this chat, if you will, in heaven. Verse 12 then is exclusive praise to the Lamb, and then verse 13 praise for the Godhead. And we see here, as we started out in this uh, study, we saw in chapter 4 this idea of who he was. The Creator, the God, and He's worshipped for that. We come into chapter 5, verse 9. He's praised for His purchased uh, mankind, for what He has done. And we see exactly the same thing here. Worship for the Lamb because of what He has done, and for who they are in verse 13. The Almighty Creator, the God of Heaven. Verse 14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. Sounds a lot like John Clunas to me. If you've ever been in a meeting with John Clunas, it's all he's saying Amen all the time. And in heaven, and it is a present tense verb here, so it has the idea of a habitual continual saying, they kept saying Amen. And maybe we need to say more of that. Maybe you should have said more of that tonight as we read some of these passages. Amen. Truly, this is it. And the living creatures say, Amen. They agree with what's being said. Um, and I think that's a wonderful thing, that they're all in agreement of the worship to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's just close with a word of prayer now. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this little glimpse into heaven and we think of how many of us here have friends and relatives who are there already and in some ways we are jealous to think that they have seen the Saviour face to face and they've been able to speak in heaven mere men who were sinful and weak and yet they can speak in heaven and they speak to their Father and Jesus Christ and he's interested in what they have to say. What a wonderful place. Heaven is a wonderful place. We look forward to that Lord and we pray that this glimpse would help us and encourage us at this time when we see so much around us that is dark and dismal, perverse and sinful. And we pray that as we look forward to heaven it would uh, enable us and empower us to serve you better while we're here enough. May the future shape our present. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.